see. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Dearman. Um, I just like to take note of the difficulties that we're having with Chairwoman uh, Teresa Leder Fernandez uh, staying on with the hearing and that add a little bit also with Mr. Dearman um, shows some of the connectivity issues we may be having with parts of the nation. Although I must happily say that I am having no such issues where it's 1.30 in the morning, you're tomorrow, and where Ms. Radiwagon is at 4.30 in the morning yesterday. So uh, everyone, we're getting there a little at a time, but we're certainly getting there. And we'd like to have this uh, no connectivity issues with our Bureau of Indian Education schools as well. Um, uh, under committee rule 9A, we will not question the witnesses under the five minute rule. After the chairs and ranking members, uh, I will recognize members of both subcommittee in the order of their seniority on the full committee. Again, to ensure that the members five minute rule is adhered to, staff will be keeping track of time and a blinking light will show when time has expired. Please be attentive to the time wrap up when your time is over and remute your microphone. As chair, I now recognize myself for five minutes. Um, Director Dearman, in its 2017 report, the Government Accountability Office has said it was adding the Bureau of Indications, Indian Education's Administration and Oversight Schools to its high-risk list because of ev evidence of unsafe school conditions, inconsistent school health and safety inspections, lack of workplace, planning and poor oversight of school spending of federal funds. In its subsequent reports, GAO also identified other high-risk issues such as the BIE's oversight of special education at schools. So could you discuss how the BIE has addressed or is addressing these high-risk issues? Are there high-risk areas that continue to be a challenge for the BIE to address? How can we as legislators support your efforts to address areas of high-risk and what actions have you taken to provide leadership and support to address GAO's recommendations under BIE's high-risk status? If you can swing all of that in, that'd be appreciated. Well, thank you, Chairman. Thank you for the question. Um, I became director in November of 2016, and we were placed on the high-risk list in 2017, and we gathered our leadership team immediately to address the GAO recommendations. And we will continue to address the GAO recommendations. As we've stated in our opening uh, remarks, we have closed 23 of the 39 recommendations and we feel comfortable and feel confident that we'll continue to work hard to, to close the remaining recommendations. We have a lot of the recommendations in, in, in um, getting close to packaging, uh, closure packages for some of the recommendations. And we continue to work collaboratively, collaboratively with um, GAO. GAO has been a, a great partner. Um, and as I've stated in previous hearings, Chairman, we will continue to work with GAO and use their recommendations as a roadmap to continue to make BIE better. Um, we need the assistance. Um, we feel like the, uh, we, we totally agree with what GAO is saying. And we are proud of our leadership team in BIE because we are the most consistent leadership team that the BIE has had in the history of the organization. And uh, we continue to work hard to, to implement the recommendations, Chairman. Oh, thank you for that. Um, because, you know, like um, I am aware of educational uh, jurisdictions that are 
in high risks, some of who have been in high risk for 20 years, and I understand maybe 30 years, and uh, it's costing the local jurisdictions a lot of money. So thank you for that, uh, Mr. Uh, Dearborn. Um, Director Shiwa, um, which of the recommendations that are still open, do you believe will have the greatest over, overall impact if addressed? And what do you believe is a reasonable time for BIE to implement these recommendations? Yes, we have one priority recommendation that is still open, which is for BIE to improve its delivery of special education and related services. Specifically, we recommended in 2020 that BIE develop a plan to make up missed special education services on a consistent basis um, across all BIE schools. Uh, we found in our report that BIE was not providing consistent services uh, when their providers were out sick or um, absent for other reasons. That is the most important of the recommendations we feel for BIE to implement. And so what do you believe BIE will have to take immediately to be able to achieve this target? And uh, how has GAO been working with BIE to help achieve this timeline? As uh, Director Dearman testified, we, have, we do have very collaborative relationships with BIE and with um, Mr. Dearman and his leadership team. Um, they have reported they are working to address um, our 10 open recommendations, including the one I just mentioned, to develop a consistent policy to make up missed special education services. Um, Director Dearman would probably have a better idea of the time frame for their implementation of these outstanding recommendations. Thank you very much. I now um, turn to um, Ranking Member Owens uh, for his five minutes of questioning. Um, Mr. Owens, please. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank uh, you. Mr. Dearman, uh, your testimony provided a good update on the BIA progress in addressing recommendations made by GAO over the last several years. You also discussed challenges BIE schools have faced during the COVID. Uh, what I didn't see in your testimony was any discussion about the low academic performance of BIE schools. <clears throat> uh, are there steps uh, that BIE has taken to increase the learning outcomes of students in these, uh, in these schools? Mr. Dearman. Thank you, Congressman. Um, we have a lot of first evers in the Bureau of Indian Education, and we have our first ever own standards and standards assessment and accountability system that we've been working to implement. This past year is a, the first year that we've actually been able to um, collect the school data. We'll be collecting school data from the assessments. Our plan is, Congressman, is to look at the data and make sure that we're filling in the gaps, providing resources based on data to fill in the learning gaps that we've experienced through the through the learning loss, um, through the pandemic. I can tell you this, Congressman, it is hard for me and my leadership team to, to hear the opening statements with the statistics that's been read and, and that's been the history of BIE, but I am proud to say that we are changing that. And we felt, we went out for consultation, we listened to our stakeholders, our tribal leaders, and it was important that we have our own standards assessment and accountability system so that we can have our own data and have control of that data. 
versus having to work with the multiple states that our schools reside in. Um, as I testified, Congressman, we have schools in 23 uh, different states. We're having to try to work with 23 states and collecting that, that testing data. So that is the plan moving forward, but also with our new standards assessment accountability system, we will have benchmarks to where we can start measuring where our students are and what we need to do to make sure that we address any learning gaps or any deficiencies that we may identify through the assessments. Thank you. I want to focus my next question on one of the GAO reports uh, you highlighted in your testimony. In May 2020, GAO released a report highlighting BIE's failure to provide special education students services they were entitled to under federal law. That was a report that was requested by Republicans on an education and labor committee. From your testimony, it appears that in the last, in the two years since the report was released, none of the GAO's uh, recommendations have been fully addressed. Uh, you mentioned a new special education policy handbook that are forthcoming that you anticipate will fully address GAO's recommendations. Can you tell us more about what will be in the policy and handbook, uh, policy and handbook, and how they will address GAO's uh, recommendations? Thank you, Congressman. Our anticipation, we, we anticipate having the, uh, the policy and handbook <coughs> this summer and ready to go out to our schools and start training. What we will have in our policy is uh, guidance and expectations and the special education as far as servicing our students. The one key thing that the GAO did recommend that we make sure that we ensure is in the policy and the handbook is uh, compensatory services because we have to make sure that we are, we can't, you know, we, during the pandemic, we had to shift to a virtual setting and sometimes we had to shift to a packet and making sure that we are meeting the needs of our students that have individual education plans is critical. Since my tenure as director, Congressman, the one thing that we've experienced in the Bureau of Indian Education is the lack of policies. And it's important that we put policies in place so that we can make sure that regardless of who's in the, who is in the leadership positions, our schools have guidance that they, they can follow and it's written to where they can pull that off the shelf and, and, and uh, make sure that our special education services are provided. Okay, uh, I have just a, a less than a minute here. Uh, Ms. Siwar, I want to ask you this, uh, about the same report. Uh, same report. Uh, how would you describe BIE's progress in implementing the recommendations from that report? Um, as I mentioned in my statement, uh, BIE has, is, has not closed any of the um, seven recommendations we had in our uh, May 2020 special education report. As Mr. Dearman testified, um, BIE has told us they're working hard to develop policies to implement our recommendations. Um, one thing that BIE did do shortly after our report was issued, though, was um, they rescinded the policy um, at, at their largest division um, of tribally controlled schools not to inspect 100% of documents on uh, provision of special education services to students. At the time we did our work, um, the assistant, the Office of Tribally Controlled Schools was only looking at, uh, I believe it was a third of all students' special education service delivery. So that's one positive thing that BIE did very shortly after our report was issued. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, Chairman, I yield my time back.
Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mr. Owens. Um, now we have welcome back, of course, the always hardworking and, and wonderful person to work with, the Chairwoman Teresa Ledger Fernandez. Uh, you have five minutes of questioning, please. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Chairman, and to everybody on uh, this uh, hearing. My apologies. I was actually, I am actually in um, um, with Navajo meeting on health issues. And so, as we all know, we have a major issue without uh, sufficient internet, and I had to come back into Gallup. Um, so, I, I wanted to address some of the issues with regards to underfunding. Um, you know, we did in the markup on uh, the bill with regards to school construction, talk about the manner in which uh, school construction is incredibly underfunded. And we look forward to working with the chairman and the committee to increase the percentage that goes towards the Native American schools for construction. Uh, but I wanna talk a little bit about the concept that we spend more on uh, BIE students than in others. Uh, from the data I'm aware of, it's actually the opposite. Uh, and Assistant Director Siwa, uh, as you know, we have amazing schools like the Santa Fe Indian School in my congressional district, which has tremendous success in student outcomes. It's also Pueblo governed. Um, but we know that there are so many other schools that are not as successful and that they're significantly underfunded. Uh, I saw that the Department of Education reported that AI and students are funded at 6,048, less than half of actual funds expended to educate non-Indian schools at 12,500 for fiscal year 2022. So how would the president's proposed $5 million funding increase for BIE in fiscal year 2023 help address the issues of inadequate funding of tribally controlled schools? This is a question for me. Yes, or whichever you. I'll defer to Director Dearman. Okay. Thank you, Congresswoman, for the question. Um, you know, we are definitely pleased with the President's 23 proposed budget because we do have increases. Uh, you know, I'll throw some figures at you that will definitely show you the need of our system. In facilities alone, um, our budget is 420 million, and we have a deferred maintenance approximately of 915 million. We have 60 schools that are listed in poor condition that have not been funded yet, as of to, you know, as of now. And with that, we're looking at with uh, approximately 5.1 billion to replace the schools in poor condition. But again, we are pleased that we have. Um, an increase in the president's proposed budget and we look forward to collaborating you know to working closely with this committee and other committees and supporting our schools we also I, my, have the issue of of uh, the bie educators and being able to retain uh, and keep them when there are they are paid higher you know new mexico uh i think we need to put more money into our our, our schools we recently did have a salary increase of $10,000 per um, per teacher. Uh, how do you, what strategies are you going to use and what do we maybe need to do at the federal level to make sure that when states, surrounding states, increase wages for their teachers, there isn't, you know, a transfer of talent out of our BIE and tribally uh, controlled schools? 
Great question. And thank you so much because that has been a focus of ours in the Bureau of Indian Education. Currently, Congresswoman, we have two states that pay higher than the Bureau of Indian Education pays, and that is Oregon and California. We are aware that New Mexico um, increased their pay rates. And so what we have done in our Bureau of Operated Schools is we have also increased ours to make sure that we're very competitive. One of the things that we've done also in the Bureau of Indian Education is coming in as a leadership team, we realized immediately that we had higher credentials or qualifications and it was more difficult for uh, teachers and applicants to qualify for uh, teacher positions in BIE. So we adjusted to match the state qualifications of the 23 states that our schools reside in, which really helped us um, increase our applicant pool, make us more competitive. We've also been creative in making sure that we're offering incentives and providing trainings to our school leadership so that they can understand what funding uh, pots that they have available to recruit and retain teachers. Um, as far as uh, staff that assist using the uh, technical or provides technical assistance to our schools, we've been creative in that, uh, that way as well by actually looking at remote positions. Because in BIE, the one thing that we have found out is if we can recruit locally and have people that know our culture, our traditions, know our communities, we have less turnover. And it really impacts, has a positive impact on our, our, our students and our communities. Um, so what we've started doing too is when we can, we classify a position that could be advertised remote. Guess what? We don't have to pull uh, individuals from our tribal communities and have them report to an office somewhere that they don't wanna live, we can actually set them up in their communities and have them as a remote employee and actually bring in people that know our communities, our cultures, our traditions, and know our, our, our tribes. And we, we're, we're excited about that and we look forward to that. Thank you. We'll need to also make sure we get broadband to them so they can actually work in Indian country as we've just discovered. I have some more questions and we will submit those in writing, especially uh, in my opening statement. I had really emphasized the importance of language uh, and being able to have the fluency in language and including that in the school curriculum. I will submit Thank those you. in writing. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you ever so much Thank for your patience. No, thank you, thank you. And uh, yeah, you would think that uh, connectivity will become a problem when you come to where Amata and I were at the end of the world where it drops off. Uh, but uh, we're doing fine, so no, a lot of hope that things will get better for all of us, especially for uh, Native American schools. Uh, now, Mr. Albert of California, sir, um, thank you also for your patience. You have five minutes, please. Uh, thank you, Chairman Sablon. Uh, and uh, thank you to our witnesses. Uh, Mr. Dearman, uh, I'd like to direct a couple questions to you. Uh, thank you very much for, for being here. Uh, it was very, uh, very comforting to me to hear you talk about uh, the transparency of the department and the fact that uh, you agree with the recommendations that are made by the GAO and that you're working diligently to fix them. You were having a conversation with Chairman Sablon about the, the status of those remaining recommendations. Could you talk about the timeline on, on which the department proposes to have those remaining recommendations implemented? Thank you, Congressman. Um, what we can do is actually go back and, and break them down because there's 10 separate reports. And I think it would be, uh, I'd appreciate it if we could respond in writing with each recommendation with an estimated timeline. 
Okay, well, that, that would be great. I'll tell you what, why don't we'll talk about what, what, what is the recommendation with the furthest time horizon and what is that horizon? There, are, there is one that we have, you know, again, understanding the, how unique the Bureau of Indian Education is. We have to work with other in, uh, departments across Indian Affairs. And there is one that we've been working on with um, Indian Affairs that's pretty much out of our control, but we are working hand in hand to make sure that we assist. And I believe that is recommendation 17247. Uh, there's a recommendation 447, 447. Um, so there is a recommendation there that that one is the one that um, it would be hard to list the timeline, but we will definitely continue working with uh, the Division of Facility Management Construction around and getting that implemented. Okay. So uh, one of the disturbing pieces of testimony, uh, and from my point of view that we've heard today, is uh, when the GAO has said that merely uh, crossing off all of these recommendations off the list will not be necessarily sufficient to remove the department from the risk, the high risk list. Uh, and specifically, uh, the GAO is saying two things. First of all, that the staff vacancy rates are uh, alarmingly high, which the statistics they quoted, I, I would certainly agree with them. Uh, also, though, they said that the uh, BIE is failing in some of their risk management responsibilities. So I'd like to talk about those two items because obviously everyone here on the committee would like to see the BIE get off of the high risk list. Uh, the, the staff vacancy rate, you were just having a discussion with uh, Chairman Ledger Fernandez about this. You know, if, if you're paying competitive salaries and you've got a great applicant pool and you're implementing remote work, why are these vacancy rates so high? And what is the department's plan to bring them down? Great question. This is, like I said, Congressman, this has definitely been a focus of the Bureau of Indian Education. Um, in addressing the, you know, we have different levels. We have what we call a Title V category, which are there are employees that are here to provide technical assistance to the schools. And currently, our, we have a 68%, all 68% of our positions are filled, 32% are um, vacant. At the school level, we have 91% of our positions totally filled with 9% vacant. As a total in BIE as a whole, with approximately 3,500 employees, we are at 89% filled with an 11% vacancy rate. Um, we hire off of, based off of Indian preference. And we find out, and I'll give you an example of that, Congressman. We just closed the position where we had close to 70 applicants. By the time we apply Indian preference to the applicant pool, we were down to seven. By the time we go in and we look at the qualifications to meet the qualifications of that position, we were at one. So when we hire um, Indian preference, we have to do a better job of getting out in the communities, um, getting to job fairs to show our tribes um, that there, there is a great opportunity to come into the Bureau of Indian Education as well as other departments within Indian Affairs. I really feel like Congressman, and we have increased this, we have actually hired two talent recruiters within the Bureau of Indian Education to actually go out and recruit from the colleges and universities that have teacher ed programs. But more importantly is getting, as I stated earlier, getting community members that know our communities 
to look at BIE as an opportunity to come in for employment because we want our we want and we need our tribal leaders at the table with recommendations of how we can get better, but also bringing in some of our community members, our tribal members in our school system. So we have uh, we've been creative in addressing our vacancies and we'll continue to be creative in addressing our vacancies. Okay, well, thank you. That, uh, that's going to be critical to to uh, getting off the GAO's list, high risk list. I see I'm out of time here. I've, I've got some other questions related to risk management that I'll submit in writing. But, uh, but as I close, let me just make the point that uh, we see the number one uh, statistic that that uh, that that bears on the job that the BIE doing is that of student achievement. And uh, it's been troubling to me that some of the statistics that the BIE have been prioritizing and collecting, you were talking about collecting data, are not the ones related to student achievement, but uh, ones relating to other things like absences. So uh, we would really like to see you focus on, uh, on student achievement. I'll submit the other questions in writing, but thank you for your testimony. Mr. Chair, you'll back. Thank you, Mr. Obernolte. Um, I now like to recognize Mr. Soto. Sir, you have five minutes, please. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, we're here today um, because we need to make sure we're continuing to conduct our oversight duties and maintain confidence for the American people, particularly uh, our Native American families. I do want to announce on the onset, we've come a long way. Uh, those of us who sat through um, excruciating hearings about abuse in the past, uh, in education institutions and in health institutions uh, that were run by the federal government long ago, uh, know how uh, terrible a sin the country has committed. Uh, and even going back to historic times uh, early on with the, with the nation. But our, our job here is to write injustices, uh, historic injustices, and to make sure that we uh, never uh, go backwards again. Uh, so when we see concerns about the Government Accountability Office uh, discussing that the Bureau of Indian Education is listed as a high-risk uh, agency, uh, when there are concerns about COVID-19 pandemic funds, uh, which happen in local governments too, by the way, uh, and uh, oversight of COVID relief funds, addressing learning loss, mental health issues, uh, staff shortages, students with disabilities, infrastructure. Uh, it's important for us to continue to conduct our oversight duties. This is about families. This is about children in Native American tribal sovereign lands. Um, Director Dearman, uh, in a 2017 report, uh, the GAO found that 19 of the Bureau's school construction projects were completed uh, between 2003 to 2016 and took uh, three or four more years than expected and were uh, about 20% over budget. This spans several administrations. Um, we understand that four new campuses open to students in 2021 and another three are to be completed in 2022 with more plan. What is the current state of, of schools facilities and the status of replacing those in poor condition? Thank you, Congressman. This is something that I feel like in um, 2006, when we became our own bureau, Bureau of Indian Education became its own bureau in 2006. The one thing that was missing in that process was service level agreements to establish clear roles and responsibilities of who's responsible for what in our facilities department. 
since then, since then, I am proud to report that we have been working closely with Division Facilities Management Construction, as well as the Bureau of Indian Affairs to make sure that we have these service level agreements in place. We work with uh, DFMC to make, because we do what we call a quarterly uh, facility condition index report. And this is how critical our Maximo system is, is which we is a system that we go in and we train our schools to enter all the deferred maintenance issues within the school. And in our tenure, you will have, you will have a, uh, observed an increase in deferred maintenance. Because again, it's important for us to make sure that we have accurate data to show, to provide to our tribes as well as Congress so that we can identify the areas that we need support and assistance with. Um, so My we, second, but, oh, please continue. We, we continue to work with DFMC and, and the Bureau of Indian Affairs to address the deferred maintenance issues. We have a list of schools actually listed as far as um, FCI scores. To, and that hasn't been done in, in, the, in years. So I feel like we, we are standing things up, working collaboratively with departments across Indian Affairs to address um, our facilities issues throughout our system. Thank you, Director Dearman. Uh, my second question is, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected uh, progress on these school replacements and more generally construction and repairs? Thank you, Congressman, great question. As stated earlier um, in some of the opening remarks, our tribal nations was hit extremely hard by the pandemic. And I am proud to say, and I'm proud of my BIE leadership team and our field staff, we've been able to support all the tribes that we have worked closely with. So if we had construction, first thing we would do is pull in our tribal leadership to make sure that we had we were aligned with their executive orders that they had in place, whether it be shelter in place, but we worked with our tribes. And Congressman, I will need to go back to the department, but I'm not aware of the projects that were being held up and that were postponed due to the pandemic. But I'll verify that and provide that in writing. Thank you, Mr. Jer Director Jeremy. We appreciate you supplementing your answers today and uh, giving us greater confidence that we're streamlining these processes for more efficiency. And I yield back. All right. Uh, thank you, Mr. Soto. Um, I now like to recognize Mr. Allen, please. Um, Mr. Allen, you have five minutes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Good, good. Listen, I want to thank uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, you and uh, Ranking Member Owens uh, for uh, uh, this hearing today. Uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in uh, that parents should uh, play a role in, in our, our children's education. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and of course, uh, parent involvement in education has been a major topic uh, this year. Uh, and, and of course, uh, piggybacking on Mr. Obanotti's question as well, I, I guess my uh, first question with regard to uh, teachers, uh, what, is, what is the starting salary uh, for a teacher? You said you had 70 apply. What's the starting salary for a teacher? Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Dearborn. Thank Dearborn. you, Mr. Allen. Um, you know, I don't have that figure right now in front of me, but I can definitely provide that. The, okay. As I stated, we have been monitoring the states that pay more than 
the BIE because we want to make sure that we're very competitive. Right. There are issues that we are looking at as well is in recruiting staff from public schools in the government, they can only bring in five years of retirement. And so what we are finding out is that we're going to get staff at the very beginning of their education teaching profession or at the very end because congressman it's hard to pull state teachers that have been invested in the state retirement 15 years and recruit them to where they can only bring five in to the bie so there are some things that we've identified and, and because these schools are located uh on the reservation they cannot participate in state state retirement programs they are federal we're we are a federal system or a tribal system, depending on how the schools are operated. Right. Um, Congressman, I will, I do, have, I do need to say this too. The one thing that really impacts our um, recruitment of teachers is also our quarters, because we have to make sure that we have quarters to recruit teachers too. And right now, um, our quarter situation that is something we're working across the department to make sure that we address because. Some of our quarters, Congressman, make it hard to recruit teachers. Well, uh, give me an example of those. Um, some of, we have 1,988 quarters across 87 sites. And I feel like that throughout this process of separating the Bureau of Indian Education, no clear lanes of responsibility, some of the quarters have, um, they're in poor condition. And moving forward i am proud to say that we've been working across indian affairs we have these service level agreements in place and working with the tribes to where we can actually we have plans moving forward to address the quarter situation but that is one thing congressman that has impacted um, our recruitment in our especially our isolated areas where there's no other housing around is the quarters and i want to make sure that i'm on record as saying that 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 does impact <coughs> recruitment Right. So uh, a teacher has to live on the reservation as a requirement of employment? No, sir. It, it's, that's not it. But some of our locations are so far from the nearest city or town that it's hard for them to drive an hour and a half, two hours, sometimes even three or four every day, one way um, to the school site. Right. So you operate totally independent from the state in which you reside. The uh, Is that correct? As far as benefits and pay, yes. Okay. All right. Uh, so as far as parental involvement in education, uh, have uh, any of your parents of the children requested the opportunity for their child to be educated and uh, off the reservation? In other words, let the money follow the student? Uh, to uh, give them a better chance of uh, of uh, accomplishing their goals? I'm not aware of uh, parental requests at this time, Congressman, but that's something we can definitely put out a data request to see if we have uh, parents that are requesting that. Uh, right. And we do have um, schools and at sites where there are no other options, uh, but then we also have a lot of schools that where the parents do have options to send their children. I think it'd be good to to uh, listen to your parents and uh, and and their needs and give every student the opportunity to succeed. And that's why you know I um, I'm so positive about uh, school choice and uh, uh, all across this country. All right. Well, I'm out of time, uh, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mr. Allen. Um, I know. 
I think this is going to go faster than we thought. So I now like to yield and wake up Miss Radiwagon, who's all the way at home in American Samoa. Aloha. Um, Miss Radiwagon, you, you have five minutes, please. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you to Chairs Ledger, Hernandez, and Savan, Ranking Members Obernolte and Owens for holding this joint hearing today. And thank you to the panel for your testimony. Couple questions here for you, Director Dearman. How has the Bureau of Indian Education provided instruction to students enrolled at boarding schools during the pandemic? And have all boarding schools reopened for in-person learning? Great question. Um, our residential settings have been there. Big problem. That was a challenge. Feedback. I apologize. Um, that was a challenge. We currently have 44 residential settings within our system, and 22 of those are operated by the tribes, and 22 we directly operate. And again, I am proud of my, my teams because we work closely with the tribes. And if the tribes put in executive orders or shelters in place, or they wanted us to go remote, we would go to we would shift to remote to support our tribal leadership and protect our tribal community members. Um, at certain locations, depending on the community's access to the internet, depending on the IT equipment that was located at the school, we had to take a lot of things into account to determine how we were going to make sure that we shifted and provided a virtual education to our students. So it's going to vary throughout our system. And again, just looking at the different scenarios and situations with IT equipment, broadband, um, I, we could talk about this for hours because it's unique and so different and, and across our 64 reservations that we have schools like, located in. Um, but Moving forward, I will say this, we had weekly meetings with Indian Health Service, um, CDC, because we wanted to make sure that we provided the safest uh, structure, working along with the local health authorities and tribal leadership in all of our settings, not just residential, but all of our settings to make sure that they were safe in returning our students and our staff. And I feel, I feel confident that we accomplished that. Moving- Thank you, Director Chairman. My time is very short and I've got another question. Now, okay. inflation and rising fuel prices are sure to impact the Bureau being able to support transportation for these students. How much additional funding will be needed to maintain current level of service because of these rising costs? Thank you for that, Congresswoman. I am happy to say that, you know, again, we, we, we have increases within our budget that we anticipate will we'll assist with this. Uh, that's yet to be determined because of the gas prices in different locations, but we we will definitely work closely with our schools to pull that data. Uh, and you know, we work with our schools if there are if they are experiencing shortages or problems. That's our job is to come in and provide technical assistance and be creative in finding solutions to help our schools. Um, as of right now, I don't have the data that you've asked for as far as gas impacts on our school operations. But that is definitely something our school operations teams working with the schools uh, will definitely keep on keep an eye on. Thank you. Uh, thank you, chairs. I yield back the balance of my time. 
All right. Thank you, Ms. Radiwagon. And thank you for making the effort to join us at such an early time for you as well.